ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय श्रीमद Bhagavad Gita as it is translation and commentary by his divine grace AC Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada chapter 8 text 20 Parastasmatu bhavo nyo Parastasmatu bhavo nyo Yato vyaktat sanatanaha Yah sasarveshu bhuteshu Nashyatsu navinashyati Translation Yet there is another unmanifest nature which is eternal and is transcendental to this manifested and unmanifested matter. It is supreme and is never annihilated when all in this world is unmanifest, annihilated. That part remains as it is, purport. Krishna's superior spiritual energy is transcendental and eternal. It is beyond all the changes of material nature, which is manifest and annihilated during the days and nights of Brahma. Krishna's superior energy is completely opposite in quality to material nature. Superior and inferior nature are explained in the seventh chapter in this chapter of bhagavad gita in the verses just prior to this lord krishna has summarized the history and nature of the universe just in a few verses there's a big topic isn't it the whole situation of the universe summarized in a few verses in two words he makes a complete summary dukhalayam ashashvatam this material world is simply miserable and everything here is temporary so even if we think well it's not so miserable i have a nice house nice garden everything's nice i'm healthy i'm fit but even if we think it's nice the niceness is terminated soon and lord krishna goes on to explain that not only is our spot life shila prabhupad used to call it spot life that means a tiny if you see a graph of time then the, the life that we presently have is just a a blip on a graph just tiny not even in eternal time that it won't fit anywhere so apart from the temporality of our present situation what to speak of that the whole universe is created and destroyed again and again but here in this verse lord krishna is describing another place his own abode which is transcendental to the material situation just as everything material is miserable and temporary 
the spiritual world is blissful and eternal. And it is that spiritual world that Lord Krishna directs us to and all the scriptures direct us to. And all the great devotees who come to this world, they direct us to. The great devotees, like Srila Prabhupada, they appear among us. When we say like Srila Prabhupada, it, I mean, it's not really... It's not that devotees like Srila Prabhupada are found on every street corner. Such great devotees are very rare, but it means devotees, those special acharyas who come from the spiritual world, they live among us as if they are in many ways like ordinary persons, but their consciousness is fully absor absorbed in the spiritual world. They're actually living in the spiritual world. They don't really have anything to do with this world. Just like Lord Krishna himself. Etat ishanam ishasya prakriti sto pitat gunai. Na yudjate It is stated about Lord Krishna that the very nature of his being God is that even though he appears within this world, He's not touched by the three modes of material nature. He has nothing to do with it, actually. He, he's here for the sake of lifting us up. But he's not part of the material world. He's not, he's not subject to the rules of this material world. He actually has no touch with it whatsoever. And even the great devotees who come to this world, they also actually have nothing to do with it. Although for the sake of uplifting us, they appear in this world, they move among us, they, they kindly uh, minister to us, they act as if they are one of us, just to uh, mix with us and to help us uh, attain the consciousness that they have, the consciousness of the spiritual world. So they always live in the spiritual world. And we can see that uh, from the songs of Bhaktivinoda Thakur. He's always living in the spiritual world. Last night we were singing. Amitashananda Kunjatavasi, Radhika Madhava Charnadasi. I'm living here in Swananda Sukhata Kunj, part of Mayapodham, Navadidham, which is the spiritual world. Although to the eyes of worldly people it looks like the material world. But is Navadidham, Rindavan Dham, Dwarka Dham, these Transcendental sights appear in this material world, although actually they have nothing to do with this material world. Just like pure devotees, they appear in this world, but they are not, to, to ordinary mundane vision, they appear as if they are part of this world, but they are not. And the dhams of the Lord, they appear in this world, but they are not part of it. So external to external vision, Bhaktivinoda Thakur or Srila Prabhupada were living in this world, but their consciousness is always in the spiritual world. And they live in this world to bring us back to that world. Now, to the atheist, to the skeptic, this will all seem like wishful thinking. They will advise us to be realistic. But... Why, should, why do they think they've got a monopoly on realism? Why should they... They suppose 
that being realistic means to come to terms with our present situation in this material world. But we can, one thing is, we can never fully come to terms with it. We can never get a grip on it. We can never control it. We're controlled. And the nature of this material world is that it is miserable. And they'll say, well, okay, it's, that's it, tough. But why, should, why do we have to accept their definition of realism? That this is all there is. This is we, we can't see anything else, so we shouldn't believe in anything else. Why not? Why should they? Why should they have a monopoly on realism? Why? Why should they confine it to their experience? It's it's absurd, actually, that they they say that we can only accept what we can that which we can perceive. Why is all of reality encompassed between that which we can perceive with a with our highly incompetent senses? Our ears can only hear sound from a certain distance, at a certain pitch. Our eyes can only see within a certain light range. We can't see if you have, if you're, what is that, long-sighted, then you can't see, even the writing is right in front of your eyes. You can't read it at all. And then we should accept as and, and what to speak of what we can perceive, our ability to understand it is also limited by our, our intelligence. So why should we ex why do we have to accept? Why is it considered realistic to accept only that which we can perceive? Why there, sh there should not be a blissful world beyond this world? That appeals to us, the prospect of something better. Why is that? That is explained in the Shastra, Rasovaisaha. That the, the very nature of reality is rasa. The nature of reality is not misery. Sometimes people say that, well, our philosophy is very pessimistic because Dukalayama Shastratam, everything is temporary. Everything is miserable. Oh, we don't say that. We say everything in this material world is... We don't say Krishna says. Everything in this material world is miserable and temporary. But that's not pessimistic. That's just realistic. It's, it's a fact. What is that misery? Birth, death, old age and disease. And you can, you can, well, you can say, well, we can go to Disney World and we can go and have a look at the alligators and we can sunbathe and and uh, yeah and uh, get disease and old age and death that's natural that's what we're saying that's not, that's the nature of this material world and it is miserable that is not pessimistic that is realistic but it's also not unreasonable to suppose that as we are happiness-seeking creatures, that it is our nature to want to be happy, despite the nature of this material world being one that inflicts misery upon us, then it's quite reasonable to suppose 
that there is a place that we can go to where there is no death, old age, no disease, no rebirth, where there is only happiness. Why not? Why, why should we... That's pessimism. What their so-called realism, that is pessimism. Both, both optimism, being optimistic, well, life isn't so bad. It is bad. There is birth, death, old age and disease. It is bad. So to be optimistic, look on the bright side. What bright side? You're, you're driving, an analogy, you're driving straight into a brick wall. So some may say, you're driving into a brick wall. Don't be so pessimistic. Be optimistic. It's a sunny day. Yeah, but you're driving into a brick wall. Well, I'm drinking a nice Coca-Cola and it's a sunny day. Why are you so pessimistic? You're driving into a brick Don't be so pessimistic. <laughs> That's reality. It hits the brick wall. And, and the pessimist, that, that he thinks that, well, there's nothing beyond. There's only... There's only misery. But the transcendental realist accepts messages from the spiritual world that there is a place. There is a place where there is sugita nartane, shabashaki gane, tushichi, jugaladane. The description of the spiritual world where the gopis are always singing and dancing and satisfying Radha and Krishna. Well, you might say, well, how can you accept that? How he can believe? What, what is the evidence? Well, the evidence is Shastra. Once an atheistic Indian doctor in Stockholm, I believe it was, met Srila Prabhupada and said to Prabhupada, very skeptically, what is the evidence of the existence of the soul? Prabhupada replied, because Krishna says so in the Bhagavad Gita. That's actually the best evidence. I mean, we can say so many things. There, there are, I mean, Lord Krishna himself gives the example. Dihino svinyata dehe komarang yovanangjara tata dehantara praktihi. Lord Krishna gives the example that the body is always changing. The body is material, but the, the deha, the body, the material body is changing, but the day he, the person, the, the, the person within the body, stays the same. You can remember, Srila Prabhupada often used to give the example. I remember when I was four months old, sitting on my sister's lap. Most people can't remember when they're four months old. So Prabhupada said that when he was in Puri, in 19, it must have been 1977, he said, I remember when I was here as a young man, walking by the beach like I'm walking now. But in those days I was very sprightly, had a lot of energy. Now I'm walking with a stick. Now I'm an old man. Same person. The body has changed. Of course, Srila Prabhupada's body is completely transcendental. But he's giving this example. So Lord Krishna gives examples. Another famous example. Vasangsi jirnani yatavihai. Navani Rihnati Naroparani. Tatash Rirani Vihaya Janani Anyani Samyati Navani Devi. Very it's a clear example. That just just as the clothes 
cover the body, but they wear out, then you get new ones. So the body covers the soul. And when the body wears out, material nature awards a new one. So it's a, these are examples. But ultimately, the evidence, these are examples to help us understand the existence of the soul. But ultimately, that Krishna says so, that's the ultimate evidence. But skeptics, pessimists, agnostics, atheists, they won't accept that. Devotees, they accept. It's a matter of faith. I, there now, there's a few atheistic books, books by atheists which have become popular. The God Delusion, and then uh, God is Not Great. Um, but it's, I was sitting on the plane coming down here next to someone who was reading a book called God is Not Great. So I, I said to him, so you're a committed atheist? And he was a little embarrassed. Which is, he didn't really want to discuss it. So I said that empirically the existence of God can neither be proved or disproved. So you are... Uh, you criticize people who believe in God for having blind faith, but you also have blind faith that there's no God. You can't be proved either way. So ultimately it's a matter of faith. But it makes a hell of a lot more sense to have faith that someone created all. I mean, God's a lot more than the Creator. But that, that this everything came into being by design than by chance. But anyway, he didn't want to discuss. He said, well, I'm just reading it. I, I was looking over his shoulder reading a book. I was talking about how religions, they have caused so much. And he said this on religions cause so much trauma. I said, that's got nothing to do with the existence. That's absolutely not an argument for the existence or non existence of God, that religions have caused so much trouble. It's got nothing, it absolutely doesn't relate to the fact at all. You could, say, you could say that, well, science has caused so many problems, so then just close down science. It's, it's, a, it's a non-argument. What else did he say? So, oh yeah, I, in, the, in the book it was talking about, it was referring to St. Francis of Assisi talking to birds, and it was in a, it was written in a very skeptical way, the math, this it was well. It was referring to a Franciscan monk, and it said that he was he was a follower of a mammal who was reputed to talk to birds. Very skeptical. You you don't know how to talk to birds doesn't mean that everyone doesn't know how to talk to birds. Just because you can't do it, you don't know. You're not on that level. You then you just presume that it's not possible. Again, foolish foolishness. And anyway, Saint Francis of Assisi talking to birds or not talking to birds, that also has got nothing to do with the existence of God or non-existence of God. I mean, these people, they don't even think in the slightest bit logically. Whether he spoke to birds or not, neither proves or, or disproves the existence of God. It's, it's a side issue. They have. Of course, the the Christian belief hasn't been a very good uh, representative of spiritual... I mean, spiritual knowledge, not at all. It's, it's, 
that they ask you to believe practically blindly has, has in some ways it's it's done good that people believe in God they have some faith in God but in other ways to to pure theism it's in other ways it's damaging. Srila Prabhupada always presented that we are for the first time presenting scientific knowledge of God. Otherwise, just believe. Just believe, because it's in the Bible. And someone say, well, why should I just believe because it's in the Bible? Someone will come, if you don't, why should I believe? Because if you don't believe, you go to hell. Well, someone told me that about the, uh, about the Quran also. And then, you know, there are Catholics and Protestants and some of them believe in the Virgin Mary and some of them don't believe in the Virgin Mary. And, you know, it's all just blind faith. So Prabhupada presented scientific knowledge of the personality of Godhead. That means that what is stated in Shastra, we are asked to believe. That's true. Everyone believes something. Shadhaomaya Yang Purusha Yasa Shraddhasa Evasaha. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says, everyone believes something. And one is classified according to his belief. Now, even the atheist, he, he strongly believes that there's no God. Or, here's what I often say. Someone who says, I don't believe in anything. Then you just ask them, do you believe what you just said? They're caught. You have to believe something. John Lennon, he made a long song. I don't believe the Bible. Da, 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 as if it's a great philosophical, profound statement. I don't believe in Hitler. Da, 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 and he goes on and on and on. I heard this song once, but I remember it. From years and years ago. And the final conclusion is profound philosophy. He doesn't believe in all these things. And then this, this, this finally come to the point, what does he believe in? I just believe in me. Wait a minute, there's more to it. Yoko and me. That's reality. And with music, like it sounds very profound. And he's just a fool. That's all. By, the, by the music, he thinks it, it makes it sound very profound. So he believes. But where is John just where is John Lennon now? Where's Yoko Ono? She's still alive, I think. It's not much longer probably. She's pretty old. Prabhupada when he went to France, he heard there's a saying that Napoleon is France and France is Napoleon. He said, Well here's France. Francis said, Where's Napoleon? There's just a statue with people not people, pigeons passing stool on it. <laughs> Prabhupada always gave that example in the park in Calcutta. The statue of Sir, Sir Ashutosh Bosch. What did he do anyway? Maybe any Bengalis here? He says some statue is there. I don't think anyone knows what he did. Why they build a statue of him is forgotten. But they gave the example that, that all the pigeons pass stool on it once a year. And then once a year they, they come around with these thick brushes and brush all the stool off and they have some ceremony. Even Gandhi, just even one generation ago, people thought he was an incarnation of God and now no one cares. Even even this Gandhi Jayanti, they have this 
so-called Jayanti, birthday of Mahatma Gandhi in India. It's, it's a non-event. It just comes and goes and no one cares anymore. So, what, yeah, John believes in himself and someone believes in Mahatma Gandhi and then people believe in sports stars and they're, they're, they're remembered and then forgotten and then another one comes. And everyone believes in something. You, you can't live without faith. If you don't have faith, you can't even, you can't eat your meal. You'll have to test first to see if it's poisoned. Maybe someone poisoned you. You have to have faith. You can't take one step. You may think, well, the, it, the earth won't support me. It might, I might just put my foot through and go down to who knows where, fall into the center of the earth. You don't know. You can't say for sure, but you have faith. So there's faith, blind faith and realistic faith. And the Shastra is presented in a manner that we can have faith in transcendental reality. Even we don't directly see it, but the promise of seeing it is there. And actually in India's spiritual culture, that promise, that uh, that culture, people accepted that because there, there were so many saints and it, it's just part of the culture that people have transcendental experiences. They're, they're born with that. They, they, if, if you grow up going to the temple every day and, and, and hearing about Lord Krishna and Lord Ram, then naturally you have, you have faith in that. And it may be what often happened, what was happening in India up to some time, ago, is that people, they'd, they'd grow up with this and they'd go to school and then the teachers would be atheistic and tell them, this is all just fairy stories, there's no proof, how can they build, how can they have Lord Ram build a bridge with stones floating on the water, how is that possible? And then confronted by the challenge of the modern scientific way of thinking, people, often they became atheists. But still that impression in their in their heart that remained there. On a train once I was going from Calcutta to Orissa in eastern India and I was sitting next to a man who was a as a professor of biology or something like that at uh, Kalyani University in West Bengal. And he was from Orissa. So he was going home. So uh I, I asked him, I, 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 he, was, he was asking us, and he was asking us, he's, being from Orissa, he had faith in Jagannath. Uh, so we were speaking with him. And then I said, but look, you're a professor of biology. How can you have faith in Jagannath? That goes against everything you have to teach, because you have to teach evolutionary theory and all this. And he's, he didn't know what to say. And then I, spoke, I showed him life comes from life and I said how all this evolutionary theory, it's all just cheating. And he was very grateful because he said, actually I can never put the two things together. That naturally by my culture and upbringing, I have faith in Jagannath. But then uh, I also have faith in science because it makes sense. But, and and I'm, I'm teaching that. But I can never put the two things, I can't give up faith in Jagannath. But 
science makes sense. So I, I just believe in Jagannath and I love Jagannath, but I don't think too much about how it can be actually true. Sadaputa Prabhu, I think you may know, he lives in this area, I believe. He's in Gainesville, maybe? Alachua, you know? So last time I spoke with him, which was quite a few years ago, in India, he told me from his observation that many Indians, they have two-track brain, two-track intelligence. That they believe in God, and they believe in modern science and modern advancement, and they're either in one track or the other track. And to be in one, they turn off the other, because you can't have them both running at the same time. So, you know, they'll be like a nuclear scientist or something, and then turn that off, go to the temple, say some prayers, and like that. They don't, they don't try to put the two things together. Some people do. There's some people trying to show how the Vedas are actually, they fit with modern science, but in some ways, yeah. Atomic science, we have the word Paramanu, that is there in Shastra long before Newton and Dalton and all these people. So, that's there, and then we have Vimana, airplane, that word is there in Sanskrit, which was long before the Wright brothers, or even before the Wright brothers, that was conceived of by Leonardo da Vinci. But actual Vimana airplanes are described in Shastra, and so many things. The description of the child in the womb, they think that's a modern discovery, how with how they've discovered with, first of all, with x-rays probably, and nowadays they use sonography and different things to... What is what's going on in the womb? That how the how the semen mixes with the ovum, and then the, the fetus is formed, and after so many days, the the hands and the legs and the heartbeat and all these things start. But they think this is a modern discovery, but it's right there in the Bhagavatam and in other scriptures. So some people are trying to join together the Vedas. Vedic knowledge, modern scientific knowledge, to some extent, to the extent that science has got it right, it can fit to the Vedic knowledge, but there's a lot of things which seems like they got it wrong, or they don't know, or partially right. So, we accept, the followers of the Vedas, they accept axiomatically that Shastra is correct. And people may say, well, that's blind faith. Then if you want to study, you can find this. There's so much that works also, scientifically. And it appeals to the intellect also, because some, something must be correct, something must be true. We're saying it's a matter of belief, whether we believe in God or not, but our belief doesn't affect the, the, the existence of God. Either He exists or He doesn't exist. If he does exist, then our non-belief in him won't cause him to not exist. And if he doesn't exist, then believing in him won't make him exist. He's not a figment of our imagination. We are a figment of his imagination. <laughs> we, are, we are produced from his thought. So, it's, it's not really a matter of a belief, it's a matter of that 
Science means to find out what is to ascertain reality. And actually, it's a lot more realistic. It makes a lot more sense to accept that there is God than to suppose that there isn't God. Just on the just on the basis of, well, how is everything going on in such an ordered way unless there's some design and some control? Now, a lot of the problem in that people have in believing in God is the question of suffering. Because people think, well, if God is all good and He's all powerful, then why is there so much suffering in the world? If He's all powerful, then He should stop all the suffering. This comes from the misconception that actually we are good and God, His job is to help make us happy. But the, the actual situation is that we are in this world because we have rebelled against it. And that's why we're suffering. And it's not His job, as all the religions of the world, practically they teach that you pray to God and He will make our position in this material world better. But that, that's a great misunderstanding. Lord Krishna states here that no, What's the use of trying to be happy in this world? Because the Dukhalayama Shashvatam. Anyway, it's miserable, but there is a better place. He points to that better place. And that better place, it's not just that there's no birth, death, old age and disease there. It's a, it's a completely different consciousness that makes it happy, makes everything happy there, and gives us the eligibility to reside there. That consciousness is instead of trying ourselves to be happy independently of Krishna, that we take the position of servants of Krishna. We are, we are meant for his happiness. That's why there's no birth, death, old age and disease there. There is in this material world. And we may say, well, if we want to be independent from God, then why doesn't he create a situation where we, we can be permanently and uh, there's no birth, death, old age and disease. But then, but that is contrary to our nature. We have an intrinsic nature. And we, Krishna, he is the transcendental autocrat and overlord. He is the center of all existence. We are men for his pleasure. And if we try to act in a manner contrary to that, then that is our actual suffering. The real suffering, this birth, death, old age and disease, and then adibhotik, adidaivik, adhyatmik klesh, the miseries resulting that, that we experience from our body and mind, miseries inflicted by others, natural disturbances, all these different kinds of miseries. Actually, they're bad as they are. They're only actually symptoms of the real suffering that we are separated from Krishna. Being separated from Krishna, that is the suffering. So all this uh, appeal, this presentation, this appeals to the intelligence of pious persons, persons who are not totally demoniacs. And the appearance in, in this world of Lord Krishna himself, that he comes and he shows, well, I'm God. 
You don't believe it, Jarasandha? You don't believe it, Putana? You don't believe it, Duryodhana? Well, I am. So, here's the proof. Off with your head. You don't believe? You'll show the universal form. Still don't believe? Then, if you're a committed atheist, they say, show me God, but even God comes directly in front of them, they won't believe. We, we believe what we want to believe. So even they say, show me God. Even if they say, show me God, they say, well, what do you mean by God? And then they have to define. I, I also don't believe in God. I don't believe in the God that, the, that most people believe in. Because what they say is God. That's not God. Krishna is not God according to... Well, they, don't, they don't even have a definition, but according to their concept. In Hinduism, they admitted the vagueness of God. In Christianity, they made the mistake of equating... They didn't know who God is. So they made the mistake of equating Jesus with God. In Islam, they say that God is undefinable. But then you have to believe in Him. In who, not really who, not really what. You believe in, but believe in, you can't say what to believe in, actually. And if you try to say, they'll call that blasphemy. So you're, you're kind of caught. You have to believe in Him, but then if you ask who He is, then they'll cut your head off. So it's it's doesn't you know it doesn't really appeal to the intelligence much. And then in Hinduism, it's you know, um, new age, new age, and Hinduism, they'll go together. Well, then you just, whatever you like, your Ishtadev. You know, Whoever you want to be God, that's God for you. God comes in many forms. So whichever, whichever form you like, that's God for you. God is according to your imagination. But no. The Acharyas come and they teach Sabhagavan Swayam Krishna. Here is God, Krishna. Prabhupada several times, he would say, do you know his God? Do you know his God? Do you know his... No, no, you don't, can't, can't say. Well, I can say. Here is God, Krishna. Accept it. You don't know, I know. You take it. You say, well, why should we accept? Because you don't know. <laughs> you don't have any alternative, but I can say. I know. And here, it's ex- he is Shara Aishvarya Purna. Mm, this Aishvarya Sya Samagrasya Viryasya Yashasya Shriyaha Jnana Vairagya Yoschaiva this is the analysis. It's not a vague term. God is just some some vague idea that you can believe in if you want, when you want, how you want. Now here is Bhagavan. All wealth, all strength, all fame, all knowledge, all beauty, all renunciation. He comes and shows he has all wealth, all strength, all fame, all beauty, all knowledge, all renunciation. That's accepted by persons whose knowledge and behavior shows that they're, n- they're not part of this material world. Great devotees, Prabhupada, he's, we see, not affected by mundane happiness and distress, not attached to material happiness, no greed, no lust, no envy, no delusion. 
clear in Mauritius. One man, he expressed a doubt after Prabhupada's lecture. His doubt is an unusual doubt. To us it may sound unusual. He said that, well, everything you say sounds so clear. How can you, as if he was expressing that, you know, it's just too, how can you be so sure? And Prabhupada said, yes, thank you, that's right. <laughs> You're right, it is clear. Because they, they just presume, it's, it's a, just like in these interfaith conferences, it's a kind of presumption at the beginning that no one really knows what they're talking about. <laughs> but we'll all discuss, and if you have a good idea, I can take a little bit from you. But the idea, if anyone comes and says, uh, no, actually, you don't know, this, you're all saying God is maybe like this, maybe like this, but actually he's like this. They won't accept that because it's interfaith. And faith means just some fuzzy idea. And they want to keep it like that. So actually it's, it's, uh, it's inter-agnosticism, it's agnosticism practically. That we all believe in God, but we don't really want to define Him too much because then we'd be, then we'd be fanatics and fundamentalists and we have to accept all different people's views. But wait a minute. God is not subject to our opinion. He's not that by discussing Him, well, my view, your view, and then we'll take the average mean and we'll, we'll make a, a statistical survey and then this will define God. No, it doesn't work. He is as He is. And those who are great devotees, they know, they know who He is. By, like I say, by, by their behavior. They, they demonstrate they're not part of this world. And all the great devotees, they accept Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. So this is good evidence. Prabhupada, he came and spoke of the spiritual world. People believed him. Not everyone believed him. They believed him because they could appreciate that Prabhupada, is, he's got something that we don't have, his level of consciousness is such that he's not attached to this material world. He's in completely pure consciousness. People could appreciate. And then he, he was able to communicate the bliss of the spiritual world. That's, people say prove, but proof is not just a matter of mathematical measurement. There was an idiot we met the other day. He was a he was, uh, what do they call this? And as uh, he's working in cosmology, scientist, but he was an idiot. Cosmology. And he said, Well, I, I also believe in God, and we will prove mathematically there is God. That was his whole thing. So, so we can't prove it now, but we will. We'll prove matter. But uh, the very effort to measure God is Maya. Miyate anaya iti maya. That's one of the de definitions of maya. The attempt to measure will always fail. That Lord Brahma, the biggest engineer, people coming from India, they want to be engineer. I'm an engineer. Software engineer, civil engineer, mechanical engineer, electrical engineer. I'm an engineer. There's no engineer like Lord Brahma. He found out, I can't measure Krishna. He thought... I'll, I'll, let's, let's just see this, this Krishna. 
He doesn't look like God to me. He's just running around like a running around with a few cows. He doesn't look like God. Okay, let's let's do a little experiment here. Lord Brahma is a scientist, so he did a little experiment. He kidnapped all the cows and the the cowherd boys. He thought, "Oops, wait a minute. What if he is God? I'm going to be in a lot of trouble." Okay, bring them all back, and then he saw Krishna still with his cows and cowherd boys. So what's going on? And then Krishna showed that hey, it's all right. You keep them there and keep them locked up. I don't. I have reproduced them all by expanding myself. And then Brahma, he thought, "Whoops! I made a big mistake. He is God." Then what's his conclusion? Jananta eva jananta kimba hukjana me prabhu manaso vapaso vacho vaibhavam tava gocharaha. He said, "Others may think I'm Lord Brahma. I'm the." I'm the biggest brain in this universe. I'm the best scientist. So others may say, I understand Krishna. Let them say. But as far as I am concerned, by all my brain power, and I have the four best brains in the whole universe, by all my brain power, by all my mental efforts, I cannot even begin to understand Krishna. That's Brahma. So the attempt to measure it's not possible. They, but they, they, this empiric method or so-called scientific method, that we think we should, everything should be proved. Unless you can prove it scientifically, then it shouldn't exist. Then prove scientifically that there's happiness. How can you prove that? You can't prove it. The emotions are completely non-measurable by, there's no, no machine to... Of course, you can... Psychology is supposed to be something like a science. But even it's very difficult to define happiness or the mind. Who can define what the mind is? Who can prove that the mind exists? No one can see it. And, and what is it? How can you, how can you define... It's very, but no one will deny that it exists. So experience, the experience of Krishna consciousness that Srila Prabhupada imparted, that is real. But philosophy went with it also. Because if we just go on our experience and emotions, that can be misleading. (laughs) Remember Krishna. (laughs) Rasoham apsu kontaya. Krishna is the taste of water. So people say, well, I, I, just, I just feel Jesus is in my heart. <laughs> Jesus is blessing me. But they don't know what Jesus wants. It's just a feeling as they're, as they're munching on their roast beef. And they don't know Jesus. Jesus doesn't want you to eat roast beef. But they have a feeling. So feeling, yeah, that... That is important, but it has to be uh, tempered with proper understanding also. So the spiritual world, why not? Why should this miserable material world be all in all? Why should there not be a place where there, there are gopis, singing and dancing with Krishna and birds 
glorifying Krishna, why should there not be a happy place? Why should we not aspire for that? If our highest aspiration is just to get money, someone's telling me, who is that? 80% of the students in America nowadays, they aspire to be rich. That's their main goal in life. So you can be rich. I, yeah, you could say it's better to be rich, miserable than poor, miserable. But miserable is miserable. Often you'll see that people who have less money are less miserable than those who have more money. It's not a fact that everyone knows it. If you say everyone will agree, most people will agree, that money doesn't bring happiness. But still people are crazy after it because they don't know any more happiness than, than the happiness that comes from purchased goods or the, hap the, the prestige of driving a... Uh, BMW car rather than a than a Corolla, Toyota Corolla. <laughs> it's more prestigious, isn't it? So there's a, there's a sense, but it's not really happiness. It's it's a very very poor substitute for happiness. But why should that we want to be happy? Suggests that there is a state of pure bliss. And this is the description. There is a spiritual world where there is pure bliss. And that pure bliss, that's not the bliss of, of uh, I shall enjoy myself. That, that's not happiness. But what is the highest happiness? Love. Actually, it all makes sense. Even It's not just sentiment. Even philosophically, it all makes sense. That Krishna is all beautiful. He's all loving, he's playful. His pastimes are full of all kinds of... unimaginable. All intricate, complex pastimes full of laughing and joking, dancing, sometimes quarreling, lovers' quarrels. There's dancing and then bathing in the Yamuna, relaxing in flower groves. But all for Krishna. All the devotees in the spiritual world do everything for Krishna's pleasure. And they get so much pleasure from seeing Krishna happy. Bhaktino Thakur summed that up last night we were singing the song. Talking about Radhika Madhava, Radha and Krishna. Duhara Milone Ananda Kari. Duhar Bijoge Dukete Mori. I f as a servant of Radha and Krishna, I f my happiness is seeing them join together. And their separation, I feel like I want to die from unhappiness. So for the devotee, happiness is defined by the happiness of Radha and Krishna. And unhappiness is defined by their unhappiness. And actually they don't have any unhappiness. And there is no unhappiness in the spiritual world. But it may appear like that, that sometimes Radha and Krishna are separated, but that just enhances the bliss of when they come together again. And the, the feelings of the devotees, the transcendental anxiety, that we have to put them back together again. So this is inconceivable for the mundana whose, whose happiness is sausages and beer and rock and roll music. 
It's, it's inconceivable for persons on such a gross level, or even for persons on the intellectual level, measuring, making mathematical calculations. They, they can never understand the bliss that comes by the simple faith of devotees chanting the names of Krishna, just like you're chanting so blissfully when we came in here. That blissful chanting, what is the essence of that blissful chanting? Is it musical ability? No, I, who, you were leaving the kirtan. I wouldn't say you're a, a great musician in terms of, of music. And your voice is nice, but you know, it's not, it's not uh, professional standard. And the tune, very simple. So what, what was the happiness? It, it, the musical standard is very, very simple. Nothing, nothing, uh, very professional. But the, the, what was there was that everyone was chanting with faith in Krishna, with the desire to serve Krishna. And that creates a blissful atmosphere. And the kirtan is, is blissful. It's not a matter of musical ability that makes kirtan blissful. It's the service mood. And the service mood that the Acharya, Srila Prabhupada, came and completely full of the service mood to, to Krishna and to his guru and to Lord Chaitanya. And therefore he was blessed to communicate that. So people could, because Prabhupada is so much imbued with the mood of service to Radha and Krishna, then he's able to imbue that in others. And others can taste the bliss. The bliss that comes by understanding that I am part and parcel of Krishna. I have no other business, as Prabhupada would use this word, business. No other business means no other activity, no other duty. Our only business is to serve Radha and Krishna. And that is possible, by everything is possible by chanting the Hare Krishna mantra. So, there is a spiritual world. And what's the proof? Well, you could say the ultimate proof is you have to go there. And the atheist will never go there. So for him, reality, for him, actually in one sense the atheist is right. There is no God. For him, there is no God. He, he defines reality as that which I can perceive. So if you want... If you want, yeah, okay. Reality is that which you can perceive. You can perceive birth, death, old age and disease. And as far as you are concerned, within your tunnel vision, reality is this miserable material world. But you can expand your vision also. But for those who are convinced like that, reality is. Actually it's not. Reality is much more but they can only perceive reality within their limited purview, and they are convinced there is nothing more than this. And for them, there is nothing more than this. But if they can somehow be blessed with the mercy of the pure devotees, then they can go beyond their tunnel vision, their frog-in-the-well understanding, and come to understand that beyond our measuring beyond our pessimism, beyond our skepticism, beyond our doubt, there is the spiritual world with Krishna and pure bliss.
such persons who are skeptics, Ravindra Sarup Prabhu asked Prabhupada, what about skepticism? What about skeptics? Prabhupada said, skepticism is rascalism. So the job of the pure devotees is to save people from this rascalism of not believing in God or practically making God like a demon. We believe in a God who, if you don't believe in him, he burns you in hell forever. Nasty fellow. That's my religious upbringing made me an atheist. I said, what a guy, you know. Maybe I'd better better burn in hell and be with such a person. You, you have to live with in fear of him, otherwise he burns you in hell forever. That's God. Terrible. So, his main business is... Majority of people don't believe in him, so his main business is burning. At school we had to sing one song, I will smite him ad infinitum. What a horrible idea. This is the, this is the animal slaughterer's concept of God. Very, uh, because they're in nasty consciousness, even they believe in God, but their, their belief is something nasty. Just like Prabhupada said, when, when some of his artists, they started to paint Krishna according to uh, Western artistic style, they had the idea, should have big muscles and look very... Like, uh, again, I, was it Leonardo da Vinci? He made so many drawings of pa- paintings of men with strong muscles, and that idea is come down in Western civilization up to now. There's the idea that you should have big, strong muscles and that's becoming prominent in India now also. But Prabhupada said, no, no, don't paint like that. He showed him, he brought a, an Indian print of Krishna like a chubby young boy. Prabhupada said, this is showing this. He said, this idea of the big muscles, he said, this is the meat-eater's concept of beauty. And this Krishna, this is the milk drinker's concept. <laughs> so their idea that should be very strong physically so you can crush others and show your strength. It's actually a demoniac outlook. Whereas Krishna, he's, he's so strong, he can, he can do anything. He can destroy millions of universes. But he's sweet. Reality is beautiful. The, the, the idea of God being very powerful and crushes the sinners. Yeah, he does. His Vishnu aspect. But the ultimate, the ultimate feature of God is that he's not even particularly interested in being God. Just like Lord Brahma, he likes to think Narayana, very powerful. I came from his, from his navel. But Krishna himself, he's not very much interested in being God and being worshipped. He's, he's more pleased when the, his pure devotees, they chastise him. The mother Yashoda ties him up. He's very pleased with that. Pranayarasa. He's tied up with the ropes of love. 
So the ultimate aspect of God, He's beautiful, He's loving. This, this is the God who the uh, demons uh, or the people of demoniac culture, they believe in God, but their concept of God is far, far away from who actually He is. So that Prabhupada, he was bold enough to say, and actually it's a fact, that he is giving actual knowledge of God for the first time. They don't know. They have a, they have a vague idea. They have no scientific knowledge of the personality of God. And they have no idea of his nature and personality. And therefore they presume that he's something like what they might like to be. If, they, if I was God, I'd be like this. I'd... I'd crush all the sinners underfoot. And, well, that does go on, but he's, Krishna is more interested in redeeming the sinners, sinners than punishing them. And this idea, you get one chance only, and then, you, then if, you don't, if you blow it this time around, you burn in hell forever. But he's not so cruel. He gives you more chances. So this is a, Krishna consciousness means uh, understanding Krishna as he is. Not because people don't have knowledge of God, they they ascribe to him what they think should be his qualities. But we can't just imagine him to be as he and again in Islam they say, No, that's wrong, you can't do that. They're right that you can't ascribe qualities to God. But then they they go to the other extreme and then say that, well, you know, he's just totally indescribable. So either way, they, without actual knowledge of Krishna, then we're simply left in some... We're left with religion. <laughs> the atheists are right. Religion is the cause of so many problems. So Krishna consciousness is not an ordinary religion from the very beginning. Dharma projita kaitava atra Sriman Bhagavatam rejects cheating religion and establishes Vedyam Vastavam Atra Vastu. This Vastu, this phenomena, God, Bhagavan, Krishna, Omnamo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Satyam Parangdhimahi. He he is the actual Reality described in the scriptures. He is Jnanagamya. He's possible to be known by the knowledge of the Vedas. At the same time, he is Vedeshu Durlabham. Difficult to understand simply by study. But he is, uh, he is attainable through the mercy of his pure devotees, who describe who he is from the scriptures and give us a link with him, personal link. Great devotees, like Srila Prabhupada, they're not simply prof- professors of transcendental knowledge, but they have, they have the through the parampara and personally, directly also, they are related to Krishna. They give us Krishna. 
So, there's so much more to be said about this, but I'll finish there and take some questions. If there are any questions. But they were well. They, but they won't be happy because the nature of the jiva, he's a, he's eternally related to Krishna. So, another thing is all the jivas who who want to establish themselves as Ishvara Hamahambhogi, I'm the controller. I'm the enjoyer. They're all put together, and then they're all competing. So then they they all want to exploit each other. They all they're all inflicting suffering on each other. Trying each one is trying to put the other down and push each other up. So rejecting Krishna it means we 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 must come to a situation of suffering. So it's just naturally not possible. It's impossible to put people together indefinitely. Own without Krishna, not possible. Yeah, we can't be happy without Krishna because we are eternally related with Krishna. He is the transcendental autocrat who is the... He is the center of all enjoyment. Everything is to be offered to him. And then everything is offered to him. Then we become happy by offering our service to him. Any other question? Is will there always be a cycle of people being jealous of Krishna? Well, the possibility is always there for the jiva. The jiva has minute independence. So, there's always the possibility to forget Krishna. You can preach Krishna consciousness and pray to Krishna to give me the power to deliver all these jivas. That's why always... Uh... Devotee always prays that when, whenever he goes, he will never forget Krishna. Yeah. We were just hearing the other day that Prabhupada said, every night I pray to Krishna, please protect me from Maya. Isn't that amazing? Not that Prabhupada's in Maya, but he's praying like that. Then, anything? Speaking a little bit about how Bhakti Zidanda Saraswati Maharaj, I'm sure the Prabhupada would like to present Krishna consciousness as a science. Mm. And then you had the greatest scientist in the universe, Lord Brahmaji, who couldn't figure out Krishna for him. So, what does ordinary pseudo scientists like ourselves do? Sorry, what's the question? What should we do? Read what's, Bhagavad what's Gita as it is. How do we present Krishna consciousness scientifically? How do we present Krishna consciousness scientifically? Well, um, the basic principles of the existence of God and His being the supreme enjoyer, we can present in a philosophical way, as I did somewhat this evening. We can present that to others. 
as far as um, hard core science, that's for the specialists. Prabhupada wanted that the philosophy of Bhagavad Gita and Srimad Bhagavatam be presented by devotees who are trained scientists. Which is interesting because trained scientists can become devotees also, as they did in contact with Srila Prabhupada. They could accept, despite their scientific training, they could accept what the principles that Srila Prabhupada had spoken and surrender their life to that, and then use their scientific training on Prabhupada's request to uh, demonstrate that the message of Shastra is viable, even by the mundane scientific method. It, it doesn't. It, it doesn't have to. Uh, the the scientific method doesn't have to contradict Shastric conclusions. It's only because the the generally accepted orthodoxy in science takes it as an axiom that that there is no God or the but uh, actually a really honest scientist should find God in everything the glory of God in everything by science he should find that how how wonderful is the creation of God So, but this uh, preaching to train scientists—that's through the scientific method—is a job for trained scientists. Otherwise, the basic principles we can present. That. Uh, even a simple steel glass doesn't come into being by chance, then how can the whole universe come into chance? It's a logical statement. There should be some designer. It's unimaginable that a steel cup, a steel glass it's called in India, a steel cup, it comes, it, it cannot come into being by chance. It's inconceivable. It's too complex. A pile of garbage can get blown together. Leaves are blown together in the dust. But that a steel cup can come into being by chance is inconceivable. It's too complex. It's very simple in one sense, but it's too complex to that we can even imagine it can come into being by chance. Then what to speak of the whole universe, which is is inconceivably more complex than a steel cup, which requires a designer, intelligence. There's, there's, so many, there's so many factors behind a steel cup. Who designed this quality of steel? Then uh, that, that iron can be smelted and made into steel in the first place. Then discovering iron ore deposits, then uh, working the deposits, mining, extracting the iron, or separating the 
iron from the other materials around it. There's so many factors involved. So, it really doesn't make sense not to accept that they're, that they're to, to think that everything is coming to being by chance is really, it's a colossal foolishness. It's such a big foolishness that that people, it's like, if you, what's this, if you're going to lie, tell a big lie. It's easier to get away with it. Because people can't imagine that, uh, that something, su- something such a big proposition, how can, if, if you say there's no, that everything is coming to being by chance, it's such a big proposition, they don't want to go against it, or scientists say, they have their calculations, but their calculations don't really prove anything. <laughs> so, it doesn't make any sense. If, at school once, uh, our math teacher, he, he put, in algebra or whatever it was, you can put, you know, 2x squared times 3ay cubed. So they had a whole bunch of these on one side, and the equal sign. And then on the other side, there was another bunch of figures and letters. And he said, so this equals this. And we all looked at it and said, okay, that's all right. And then he made a few more, you know, he multiplied by this and divided by this. And at the end, he canceled out everything and made one equals two. And we went back to the beginning we all looked through it, all, everyone in the class looked through it, and we couldn't work it out. But then uh, he showed where the fallacy came, that one of the, one of the brackets, it, all the figures inside one bracket, actually it came to zero. So then everything on one side should have become zero. But we didn't notice that. So... It's like that. It's they're doing. The theory is great, but the result is nonsense. It looks like good math, but one equals two. It's nonsense. 